This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Living Close to the Spirit. We'll start with a devotional given to Ensign College by Derek Miller, entitled Living a Spiritual Life in a Temporal World. Following that message, we'll hear from John B. Bingham with his BYU devotional address entitled In Awe, The Astonishing Goodness of God. As president of the Salt Lake Chamber of Commerce, I often have the opportunity to speak to different gatherings and to different groups. But I am especially grateful whenever I have the chance to speak to students. Students hold a special place in my heart. Because outside of my professional work, as President Cush mentioned, I spend a lot of my time serving as a YSA stake president and many of the members of our stake are students. In addition to students holding a special place in my heart, teachers also hold a special place in my heart. Both of my parents are teachers. Both of my grandmothers were teachers. My great-grandmother supported her family by becoming a teacher in a one-room schoolhouse on the frontier when she was unexpectedly widowed at the age of 23 with two very young children. My mother is an English professor. She taught me three wonderful things about being a good communicator. I want to share them with you. The first thing that she taught me was, anyways is not a word. That was like the worst word we could say in our home growing up if we ever used the word anyways. She would often say to me, if I ever got up enough courage to take her one of my papers that I was writing for either high school or college, it would come back to me covered in red ink with edits and comments. And she would often say to me, Derek, in this paragraph right here, what were you trying to say? And I would try to get the paper back from her and she would hold on to it and say, no, Don't read it to me again. Just tell me, what were you trying to say? And so I would express it to her in words, and then she would hand the paper back to me and say, why don't you just say that instead? And then she also taught me the third and maybe most important thing was to put the most important thing first. In whatever you're writing or whatever you're speaking, put the most important thing up front. She taught me the value of clear communication. My father is also a professor. He is an engineering professor. My mother has the ultimate literary mind. And as an engineer, my father has the ultimate pragmatic mind. He taught me the value of hard work. Just the other day, I was relating a story to my own children and using my dad, their grandpa, as an example of hard work. And I told them the story about the many years that he spent doing his Ph.D., his doctoral research. He was in school in California, but every summer he would go back to his home in Idaho and he would study what was happening with the thermodynamics in Yellowstone National Park. 
And they lived, while he was studying that, just outside the National Park in West Yellowstone. If any of you know anything about West Yellowstone in summer, you would know it is very hot. And if it weren't enough to be living in a place that was hot, he spent the time when he wasn't doing research in a part-time job to earn money that would support his family. And his part-time job was to sell film. But not just sell film in an easy way. The way that he sold film was to dress up in a bear costume and stand on the street corner encouraging people to come into the store and buy film. Do you know what my kids said to me when I told them this story about what a hard worker their grandpa was? What's film was their response. Now, I noticed a few of you laughed at that story, but many of you were scratching your heads and wondering, yeah, what is film? If you were one of those people, you are part of a unique generation. In fact, I read about you a few years ago when you were just starting college because you are part of a cohort of college students who has never known the world without the Internet. And in this way, we actually share something in common. Because when I started college, the Internet was just becoming a thing. In fact, I remember returning home from my mission in Belgium and hearing for the first time the word email and someone asking me what my email address was. Well, when I left on my mission, No one was using email, but in two years, suddenly everybody was. I also remember watching the nightly news soon after returning home from my two-year mission and listening to the news anchor talk about how the Internet was going to change the world. He used as an example that soon, because of the Internet, instead of driving down to the library to check out a book, that we would be able to get on our home personal computer and look up whether that book had been checked out or not before we got in our car. That was the best use he could give, the best example he could share about how the Internet might be used. Well, a lot has changed since I was in your shoes in college starting in 1990, almost exactly 30 years ago, over this period of time that we refer to as the information revolution. Many of those changes revolutionize not only the way we get information, not just because We don't just have to look up if a book is available at the library, but we can actually access that very book without needing to go to the library at all. But my point today is not to catalog how the Internet has changed our lives or how information technology has changed the world. In fact, my purpose today is just the opposite, to share with you that the true source of information has not changed at all, not in the past 30 years, not in the past 300 years, not in the past 3,000 years. As the Internet has developed, it went from its inception as being a source of information to today where it is a vast source 
of disinformation. In fact, one of the great public policy debates of our time is the responsibility that social media companies have to assess the accuracy of information posted on their platforms. It can leave us wondering, what is real? Where can I find truth? And of course, every one of us knows the simple and profound answer to that complex question, that God, our Father in heaven, is the source of truth, and the Holy Spirit is the communicator of that truth. Now, we know this, but to make it work in our lives, we have to make it real in our lives. And that's what I want to speak to you on today. How can we have the Spirit as our constant companion? And constant is the key word here. I'm not talking about feeling the Spirit every once in a while, or just at church, or when we pray. I'm talking about how we can actualize God's promise to us when we were baptized, the promise to have the Holy Spirit as our constant companion, as it's articulated in the sacramental prayer that we may always have His Spirit to be with us. And what I'd like to do is share with you principles that I've learned in my life about living close to the Spirit, living a spiritual life in this temporal world. As part of sharing these principles, I want to share some personal stories with you. But please understand that in doing so, it is not my intent to hold myself out as a perfect example, but rather in sharing my experiences, I hope to cause you to think about how your Heavenly Father deals with you and your own personal experiences in your own personal life. Principle number one is to take our spiritual vitamins daily. That means that we pray that we study the scriptures, that we take his name upon us by being a disciple of the Savior in word and in deed, and we do it every single day. When I first moved back to Utah from Washington, D.C., Sister Miller and I had lived in our ward for a couple of years when I was called to be the bishop. People would come and visit with me often, my neighbors and my friends, with serious challenges that they were facing in life. In some cases, it was for advice. In some cases, it was to help them along a path of repentance. I would begin each one of those interviews by asking those good friends and good neighbors of mine, tell me about your daily prayer. Tell me about your daily scripture study. And more often than not, they would tell me that daily prayer and daily scripture study was not a part of their lives. And then I would share with them, let's start with the simple things. Why don't you start by doing that, and then let's meet again in a few weeks and see how things are going. Now let me be clear with you. Doing these things does not mean that you will not have challenges in life, but it does mean that you will have spiritual strength and spiritual guidance 
that you need to overcome your challenges. Principle number two, attend the temple frequently. This is like spiritual super vitamins. Do you remember the story from church history? After the prophet Joseph Smith was martyred along with his brother Hiram, and the clouds of despair descended upon the beautiful city of Nauvoo along the banks of the Mississippi River, and the mobs began to convene, and even federal government forces rumored to be coming to drive the saints from their homes. It wasn't enough that their prophet had been taken away. Those mobs and those evil forces wanted to take their very lives away from them. It soon became evident to Brother Brigham and the other church leaders that they would need to leave Nauvoo. And so they began their preparation and they began their plans to leave, to come to the West, to go to the Rocky Mountains. It was under those circumstances that the leaders and members of the church set as their highest priority, finish the temple. Now think about that, brothers and sisters, for just a moment. Does that make any worldly sense at all? That given the plans they needed to make and given the trek that they would need to undertake, that what they would want to do more than anything else would be to finish the temple, a building that they knew they would soon have to leave. Well, of course, it was not for worldly reasons that they set this as their number one priority. It was because they knew that they would need the spiritual strength that would come from entering the house of the Lord and making sacred covenants with Heavenly Father, that spiritual strength that would be needed to accomplish the tasks and the challenges that lay ahead. Do you ever find yourself in a situation where clouds of temptation or despair may be gathering, where forces of the world may be conspiring against you to take you off track, Do you ever find yourself facing the need to make plans, to undergo your own trek? If you do, I encourage you to look at the example of those early saints and set as your top priority the temple. Principle number three. Once we've taken our spiritual vitamins daily and we're attending the temple, we must move forward with faith. Joseph Smith taught that when we are living the commandments, we are worthy of the blessing to have the Holy Spirit with us always to guide us in our daily lives. Some of you, in fact, many of you will remember a game from your childhood, the game of hot or cold, where something was hidden and you had to find it. As you moved closer to that thing, someone would call out, Warmer, warmer, you're getting warmer. And as you were moving away, the person may call out, Cold, you're getting colder. The game won't work if you're not moving. 
and life won't work if you're not moving. This is the way that our Heavenly Father is able to communicate to us through the Holy Ghost, to move forward in faith where the Holy Spirit will let us know, warmer, warmer, you're getting warm. Principle number four, have faith that sometimes the answers you receive may seem misaligned to the question that you're asking. Let me share a personal example to illustrate the point. My first job out of college was to work as a management consultant, and I loved the job. It gave me all kinds of varied experiences. And the firm that I worked for was very good at providing training for the skills that I needed to be successful. But after a few years in working for that firm, I was faced with a choice. I was either going to continue along with what they called the partnership track, or I was going to make a change. And so I began to pray. And I prayed and I prayed, and I made it part of my daily prayer that Heavenly Father would bless me with guidance. I prayed over the course of about six months with that question in my heart. And one day, and I remember it very clearly, I was saying my prayer in the evening, and as I had always done in my daily prayers, I was asking Heavenly Father for guidance in what I should do in my career. And I received an impression, a prompting. And the prompting was this, Derek, it's time for you to get your food storage. I thought, well, that's a strange answer. Heavenly Father, have you been listening to the question I've been asking for the last six months? And again, the impression came, it's time for you to get your food storage. Well, unbeknownst to me at the time, but what clearly became evident in the next few months was that the firm I was working for had been doing some work for a company in Texas that was about to go belly up. And not just that, that it was discovered that the firm that I was working for had been complicit in some illegal activity that that company had been engaged in. And suddenly I found myself facing the prospect of unemployment. How grateful I was that I had followed that prompting to get my food storage in order that seemed very misaligned at the time to the question that I was asking. Principle number five, and this is an important one. Please don't assume that the inspiration you received was wrong just because things turn out differently than you expected, especially in the short run. President Cush mentioned that I'm currently serving as a young single adult stake president. When we have ward conferences, we spend the second hour of every ward conference doing question and answer among the entire ward. And one of the questions that I have almost always been asked relates to this principle. How do I know that the direction that I thought was from the Holy Spirit was correct when things, when I followed it and things didn't turn out the way that I thought they would? I typically respond by asking those members, and I ask you if you found yourself in a similar situation, to remember the story of Joseph in Egypt. Joseph, as a young man, received many, 
beautiful and glorious promises from the Lord. And then what happened? He was thrown into a pit. He was sold into slavery by his very brothers, those who should have been looking out for him. When he tried to make a good decision as a slave in Egypt, he got thrown into prison. Things went from bad to worse. Now, I don't mean to impose or project my own weaknesses on that great Old Testament prophet, but I have to believe at some point Joseph was wondering, Lord, what happened to those promises that you made me? Because I'm moving in completely the opposite direction that I should be going. Now, we know, brothers and sisters, with the blessing and benefit of hindsight, that the Lord was leading Joseph exactly in the direction that he needed to and having exactly the kinds of experiences he needed to have for the Lord to fulfill his promises to him. Principle number six, be flexible and be prepared for major course corrections. This year in 2020, we have the wonderful opportunity to commemorate the 200-year anniversary of the first vision. But do you remember the question that Joseph had when he went into the sacred grove? He was not expecting the answer that he received, and he was certainly not expecting the major course correction that the Lord would give him to restore his true church again upon the face of the earth. He wanted to know simply which church he should join. But the Lord had other expectations for Joseph. And you, like him, should be flexible when the Lord takes you in a different direction. Principle number seven. When we make mistakes, and I say when, because we all do, Remember that we came to the earth to learn from our experience. We can't use it as an excuse, but we must use it as an opportunity to learn. And we do that by calling upon the atonement for forgiveness of our sins and strength in our weaknesses. And ultimately, that is the purpose of life, to learn from our mistakes and to be forgiven and strengthened in our weaknesses. In some ways, it would be very easy to say, won't someone just tell me what direction I should go to or what path I should take? Doesn't that sound, brothers and sisters, temptingly easy to have someone else just tell us what to do? Of course, that's not how life works. God expects us to do our part, to struggle, to work it out, to ask it be right, and sometimes even to fail. Why? Because our loving Father in heaven knows that it is in struggling and sometimes failing that we learn and grow. It is in this personal struggle that you come to know yourself. You come to know God. You come to recognize and act on the voice of the Holy Spirit, and you come to humbly accept the need for the atonement in your life, and you come to accomplish the very purpose of your life, to act for yourself and to know for yourself. In this way, and only this way, you become like your heavenly father and your heavenly mother. 
Eve taught this principle so well when she told Adam that she had partaken of the forbidden fruit and would be cast out of the Garden of Eden. She comforted Adam by teaching him that it was better that they go through sorrow that they may learn by experience. This is what I hope you will remember from my remarks today. While it is challenging to live a spiritual life in a temporal world, it is certainly easier than the alternative, and that is to try to live with one foot in each. It is my prayer, brothers and sisters, that each one of us will decide today to give ourselves over wholly to the Savior and be one of His disciples. It is the purpose of life to constantly strive for perfection and inherent in that striving to seek always for forgiveness, forgiveness for our mistakes and strength in our weaknesses. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is Living Close to the Spirit. We've just heard from Derek Miller. After the break, we'll return to hear from John B. Bingham with his address entitled, In Awe, The Astonishing Goodness of God. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is Living Close to the Spirit. Next, we'll hear from John B. Bingham, Associate Dean at the BYU School of Business and a Professor of Organizational Behavior and Human Resources at the time of this address, entitled In Awe, The Astonishing Goodness of God. My wife, Amy, loves new experiences. In 2017, she convinced our family that we needed to travel five hours from Provo to eastern Idaho to see the full solar eclipse in person. We got organized and took off driving to the nearest zone of totality, the ideal place to observe a solar eclipse. We drove in bumper-to-bumper traffic along what are usually empty roads. We found what I'm sure was the last parking spot in all of Idaho, and then we herded the kids past revelers who looked like they'd been camped there for days or even weeks. All I could think was, is this really worth it? We could have watched this online. We found a place to sit, and we squinted through our overpriced cardboard glasses as the partial eclipse began. Initially, I have to admit, I was pretty underwhelmed, but I watched and I waited. Suddenly, the light around us began to change rapidly. The birds stopped chirping, the temperature dropped, the laughter, the music, and the talking all around us quieted. It's happening, people started to say out loud. The darkness deepened, We took off our cardboard glasses and we stared upward, looking directly at the sun that wasn't there. Now, it's hard to describe what we saw, and even the most detailed pictures don't do it justice. What's more difficult to express is how I felt. I got goosebumps and found myself getting choked up. I stood there in the quiet darkness with my wife, kids, 
and hundreds of onlookers, our eyes all fixed on the sky and marveled in awe at this remarkable heavenly expression. For one minute and 45 seconds, we stared in silent, reverent wonder. I experienced something during the eclipse that I did not anticipate, a spiritual surprise, an unexpected connection to the divine. The mood in the crowd was different as we walked quietly back toward the car. A couple stopped us and asked, hey, what did you think? The woman's eyes were still wet with tears. Wasn't it awesome? She asked. Awesome. We use that word a lot these days to describe the taste of food. That sandwich was awesome. To acknowledge a gift or service. Hey, I got you that book. I'll drop it by your apartment later tonight. Awesome. To reaffirm that we're willing to do something. Hey, do you want to go to devotional with me? Yeah, awesome. (laughs) In fact, some people think everything is awesome. (laughs) Although we may overuse the word awesome, and the way we may use it in everyday talk may take away from its true meaning, the root of the word awesome, awe, is actually quite inspiring. Today I'm going to talk about the word awe, and I define awe as profound reverence, a personal and unexpected reaction to seeing God at work. It is seeing or witnessing something inspiring and feeling the Spirit touch our hearts to confirm truth, expand knowledge, or reaffirm heavenly love. It's the divine surprise I felt for those 95 seconds as we stood in the zone of totality of the solar eclipse. Do you remember feeling a bit of God's magnificence when perhaps you didn't expect it? Maybe when you experienced heart-stopping art, you looked into a microscope or a telescope and you saw new worlds. You came to a critical point in a breathtaking piece of music, or you finally grasped a complex idea with a flash of understanding. These moments of surprise are manifestations of Heavenly Father's love for us, His children. They are ways that God both connects with and nourishes us. Today, I'd like to help us find recognize and cherish awe in our lives, particularly when we're in a spiritual eclipse. I want us to come away from our time together ready to more regularly embrace the astonishing goodness God offers us. Experiences with awe change us. They cause us to ask questions and they move us to learn. Awe is full of paradox. It invokes vastness, and makes us feel small. We are nothing compared to God. At the same time, awe makes us feel God's power and love. We mean everything to God. Maybe it's been a long time since you have felt awe or felt God in your life. Life's busyness coupled with discouragement, depression, anxiety, isolation, grief, and a host of other factors can make it difficult to experience 
or to remember when you felt awe. At times, it can be hard to believe that you'll ever experience something remarkable again. During the solar eclipse, my moment of awe came after only five hours of driving. But let me tell you about another experience with awe that was five years in the making and came only after an eclipse of light and hope. In the late 1990s, my 20-something self was all about pursuing my passions. After I returned home from my mission in Paraguay, a study abroad in Mexico led me to change my major from biology to Spanish. I worked as a backcountry guide in the summer and a ski patroller in the winter. A mentor and I started two companies in the outdoor recreation industry. And so naturally, when the time came to pursue a master's degree, I chose parks, recreation, and tourism with an emphasis in finance and marketing. Later, at the end of the 1990s, I worked in business development for a technology startup. My life was busy and demanding, but it was also full of promise and always exciting. Then things changed. In 2000, when the growth of all of my business ventures was peaking, I began having impressions that I should return to school, complete a PhD, and of all things, become a professor. Now, I didn't know anything about being a professor, but the impressions became clearer when President Gordon B. Hinckley counseled listeners to get all of the education you can. In 2001, without much idea of what I was getting myself into, I left the technology company and the two startups I co-founded. Amy and I, we packed up our things in a U-Haul truck and we drove south away from our families in Utah to College Station, Texas, in the middle of a hot and sweaty August. I started classes, and I quickly became overwhelmed. I questioned if I had made a mistake. I sat in my tiny, windowless office, hour after hour, with a foul-mouthed office mate asking myself how could I run another regression, review another paper, or evaluate one more ridiculous theoretical puzzle assigned to me by my professors. I was surrounded by people who seemed a lot smarter than me and more capable. I worried that somebody was going to figure out that I didn't deserve to be there. I remember writing my first academic paper I spent days working to produce what I thought was a well-written manuscript. My professor returned the paper covered with red marks and critical comments. I walked outside to a wooded area near the business building. My hands crumpled the paper as I paced next to a small creek. I sobbed as I prayed out loud. I could not understand why God prompted us to travel to this place only to fail. I lay awake night after night, contemplating how I'd get out, how it would all end. I met with a counselor. I tried medication to help. I even took up the habit of eating a huge bowl of bluebell ice cream every night. Well, actually, actually, it did help a little bit. <laughs> I prayed for answers. But none seemed to come. What was I to do? Perhaps some of you can relate 
to feeling such despair. Maybe you're in a state of spiritual eclipse where everything is dark and awe is absent. What can we do when God feels distant, even when we desperately need him? I want to share three actions that have helped me when I have longed to feel spiritual connection, and I hope they will help you too. Number one, act so that we can believe. Not believe then act, not act as if we believe, but act so that we can believe. For some people, believing is simple. Their beliefs and their actions are so intertwined that they don't really see a difference. But for others of us, especially those of us who are trekking through our own wilderness or feeling estranged from God, acting takes every bit of faith we have. In Texas, when everything seemed so hopeless to me, I dragged myself to sacrament meeting, I fulfilled my callings, and I kept praying for help, even though the heavens seemed closed. Those actions actually kept me in the good place of orbit of good people. They were my way of being faithful, even though my path to future success felt pretty tenuous. Rather than focusing on outcomes, which I mostly could not control, I spent time on inputs, things I could control. One day during my first October in grad school, I was feeling particularly discouraged, unsuccessful, and marooned. The southern Texas weather was still balmy, and there were no colorful autumn vistas. I missed the crisp air of a Utah fall and getting together with family for general conference. Nothing felt awesome in Texas, not even my favorite hobbies. I tried camping, but then discovered fire ants. (laughs) I attempted kayaking in a river, but the signs warning of alligators scared me off. I was certain my life of pursuing my beloved passions was over. Forget about awesome. I longed for anything that just felt normal. So between general conference sessions, Amy and I acted. We got on our bikes and we rode, searching the neighborhoods and backroads in hopes we might see some fall colors. We rode for over an hour and didn't see a single autumn vista. But eventually, we found ourselves down a beautiful rural dirt road. Birds were chirping, toads croaking with the vast Texas sky overhead. We rounded a corner and there it was, a tree with two branches of leaves that were turning color (laughs) Now, they were mostly brown, not bright yellows and reds, but it was something. It was a divine surprise. We cut off one of the small branches, and we placed it on our little kitchen table. It became a precious reminder to me that God was aware of my challenges, and he was giving me glimpses that he was there. While I didn't find exactly what I was looking for that day, I received a reason to keep believing. In Liberty Jail, at the height of the persecution of the early church, and in his own deep despair, Joseph Smith began to wonder if God would ever again intervene to succor the saints. The Lord reminded the prophet, let us cheerfully do all things that lie in our power, and then may we stand still with the utmost assurance to see 
the salvation of God and for his arm to be revealed. What's within your power right now? If you want to believe in God, the gospel, your future, act first and then see what gets revealed. Two, recognize, remember, record. Alma asked his followers, if ye have experienced a change of heart, and if ye have felt to sing the song of redeeming love, I would ask, can ye feel so now? Some of us might answer with a resounding yes, but many of us who have felt inspiration previously, maybe during childhood, adolescence, or while on a mission, struggle to feel it now. This is normal. Spiritual feelings come and go throughout our lives, just as light does throughout a year. Remembering fortifies. We can more fully appreciate times when God has spoken peace to us if we cast our minds back and recall those specific occasions when the Lord spoke peace to our minds, as he did with Oliver Cowdery. Recognizing that God has made himself known to us in the past gives us confidence he will again in the future. What might happen if we took a few more minutes each day to recognize, remember, and record when we've heard God's voice in our lives, the way President Nelson has invited us? Okay, so it's easy for me to say, spend time recognizing, remembering, and recording God's hand in your life. But where are you going to find time? Well, I can give you some. You weren't expecting this, but maybe by doing something a little unusual and at the risk of a bit of awkwardness, something surprising might happen for you like it did for me during the solar eclipse. Let's temporarily put ourselves in a zone of totality. Thanks to the lighting crew, it's going to get dark in here. Then while we sit here in the darkness, I'm going to ask you some questions, and I invite you to recognize and remember the personal and unexpected ways that God is at work in your life right now. While it's getting dark, get comfortable in your seats. Let go of your phones and empty your laps. Will you just put down your burdens for a minute? Let's pause and take a few deep breaths. I'm going to share a few words to help us consider some of God's miracles that we may take for granted as ordinary. Elder Lawrence Cobridge said, the most phenomenal occurrences of all time and eternity, the most amazing wonders, the most astounding, awesome developments are the most common and widely recognized. They include I am, you are, we are. Is there anything greater than those ordinary realities? No. Nothing else even comes close. You can't begin to imagine, much less describe, anything greater than what already is. Okay, now remember a time when you felt God in your life and you weren't expecting it. 
How did the divine touch your heart? Maybe you felt love or peace or joy. Relive that experience in your mind for a moment. Where were you? Why was it personally meaningful to you? How did you suspect or even know that God had a hand in that experience? In the zone of totality, we can't see the sun, but that does not change the fact that the sun is there. I know God is there always, even when we can't see or feel the light of his love. Tonight, or sometime in the next few days, will you take a moment to record your experience? Documenting the Lord's hand in your life changes you. It makes you more aware and receptive to the reality that he delights in making himself known to you. Once you've done this, what can you do to consistently recognize, remember, and record God's goodness in your life? Thanks for doing that with me. I hope it wasn't too weird. If it was, don't worry. They only give us one shot at doing a devotional, so you'll never have to go through that again. What we did in this little exercise actually made a big difference for me when I was in Texas. It struck me hard when President Hinckley said to get all the education you can, but that feeling dissipated over the years. During those dark and difficult times in my doctoral program, even when I couldn't see or feel God's influence in my life, I reflected on that memory, and that memory gave me the hope to keep going. And now to the third action. Seek thin places. Being in certain settings can also help us see glimpses of God's goodness. Drawing from an old Celtic expression, Sister Virginia Pierce suggests that some environments are thin places. A thin place is where, for a moment, the spiritual world and the natural world intersect, where we experience a deep sense of God's presence in our everyday lives. Finding these places helps us hear the Lord and experience the surprising and personal insights He desires to share with us through the Spirit. Years ago, a student came to me in a panic. He'd been unsettled for days about which of two job offers to accept— Rather than hash through the details, I suggested he go outside and walk around. It was a cool autumn day, and we all know how powerful fall colors can be. The following week, he told me that just changing the scenery in his life opened him up to revelation he hadn't been able to access previously. It brought him to a thin place of awe and connection. These thin places are going to be different for each person, but finding them involves being intentional about where you are and observant about what's happening when you're there. For some, a situation or activity rather than a particular place is the doorway to awe. 
For me, riding my bike or hiking early in the morning, whether I'm on slick rock or among pine needles, are activities that can put me in touch with the divine. Talking with friends or being with family members also can be sacred situations. Think for a second, and I'm confident you'll realize there are thin places, situations, or activities where you can find peace and access to the Spirit. The Lord counseled the early saints, stand ye in holy places. This guidance is as much about where our heart is as where our feet are. Preparing the state of our heart when we enter thin places helps us be ready to experience divine surprises of awe, where we can see how God's will can complement our own. Where can you find thin places and activities that inspire you? Can you make a simple plan to go there this week? The actions I've shared, acting, remembering, and seeking thin places, were important choices that I began to practice during my PhD program, even on the days when I felt numb to the Spirit and had a difficult time remembering what hopefulness felt like. But slowly, as I practiced them, things began to change. The awe returned, and darkness began to give way to more light. I studied until my brain hurt, and I got better at understanding the material. My office mate and I began exercising together and became close friends. My grades improved, and I started to realize I was capable of doing the work. With one assurance after another, the Lord nudged me to continue on. I began to notice Him in the simple details of my everyday life, things I had previously taken for granted or been unable to enjoy, my interactions with classmates and professors, my daily bike rides to and from school, Wednesday night activities with the youth in the ward, and the remarkable goodness of my wife, Amy, whose love and support was constant and whose faith was unwavering. All of these small miracles had been there from the beginning of my journey, but I hadn't been able to notice them. I finished my PhD program, and nearly five years after beginning our adventure to Texas, I stood as a faculty member in front of my first class of students here at BYU something I could never have imagined during that first semester of my doctoral program. After a student said an opening prayer, I had a distinct impression, a realization that Heavenly Father had brought me to where I was. It was He who had made all of this happen as I gave my best efforts. This was truly a divine surprise. With God, Something surprising is always in the making. The awe can come at a moment of peak joy or after toiling for years or even in a dark moment of loss. We often see the value of our experiences more clearly with the benefit of hindsight. When Sariah, Lehi, and their family fled from Jerusalem, they saw glimpses of divine goodness as the Lord led them along the way. He said, I will be your light in the wilderness. But the family didn't fully appreciate the significance of the Lord's role until the journey was over. 
Yea, and the Lord said also, that after ye have arrived in the promised land, ye shall know that I, the Lord God, am God, and that I, the Lord, did deliver you from destruction. Like Sariah and Lehi, we may not fully realize that it is by God we are led until after we've traveled through the wilderness and crossed the great waters. And even when we come out on the other side of those journeys, the difficulties don't end. We all experience daily challenges, even at BYU. Often, many of our greatest trials come as we strive to develop greater spiritual capacity. And this is good news. Our most awesome blessings come through our greatest challenges, some of which we choose, some of which just happen, and some of which are forced upon us. Let's return to my experience at the solar eclipse. When my wife Amy decided to go see the eclipse and took all of us with her, she put our whole family in the zone of totality. We were in a situation where we had the potential to experience something unique. So although we did not set out to be spiritually uplifted, we did put in the effort to be there. But there were also people all across the United States who just happened to be living in this zone of totality and who experienced unexpectedly, the wonder of that celestial event. And other people, like some of my kids that day, are dragged into the zone of totality by their family or other life events. I'd like to suggest that when we are in these zones of totality, we can exercise trust that we will feel love, connection, and awe as we wait patiently to see the Lord's hand revealed. The sun will shine again, and you'll feel it in a totally new way. God loves you. He desires you to know him. You are deserving of his love because of who you are. You qualify for his influence in your life because you are his child. He thinks you're awesome. And because of this, you are deserving of wonder and awe. No strings attached. Each time I stand in front of students at the beginning of a new semester, I try to remind myself of the awe I felt 16 years ago in my first BYU classroom experience, how the sun broke through after a prolonged period of darkness. I love it here. What a privilege to be part of building the Lord's kingdom through this remarkable institution. I love you and am in awe of you, dear students and dedicated and inspiring colleagues and friends. The next time you use the word awesome, will you consider the personal and unexpected ways that God is at work in your life? And when you find yourself in a spiritual eclipse, watch and wait. Keep acting Keep remembering, keep seeking thin places. 
God is with us in the darkness and in the light. Let me conclude with the greatest divine surprise of all. Our Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, so that we might return to live with our heavenly parents eternally. What fills me with profound awe is that our brother, Jesus Christ, would be willing to descend from His throne divine to suffer, bleed, and die to rescue rebellious souls like me and you. His sacrifice is sufficient to redeem and to justify all of humanity and at the same time succors you and me personally. That is truly awesome. It is our Savior's willingness to accompany each of us in our sorrows, our pains, and our infirmities that allows us to experience the astonishing goodness that our loving Heavenly Father earnestly offers to each of us. Oh, it is wonderful that He should care for me enough to die for me. Oh, it is wonderful, wonderful to me. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Living Close to the Spirit with thoughts from Derek Miller and John B. Bingham. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.